Hi, I'm Corey. And I'm Jeff from Switch the Envelope. And you're listening to Movie Lovers Unite. Hey, guys. John here. Hey, I have Dean Simone with me once again. And this time we're actually going to be reviewing a Bronx Tale. This is actually Robert De Niro's directorial debut. And also, too, this is like a coming of age movie. So go on ahead, sit back and relax. And I hope that you guys enjoy our review of A Bronx Tale. All right. Hey, hey, Dean, how you been doing? I'm good, John. How are you, my friend? I've been doing great, man. Just staying busy, keeping it, keeping the podcast up and going. You know how it goes when it comes to life. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I just want to say welcome back to the show. I really enjoyed Alex and I both enjoyed interviewing last time for game day. And I figured what better time to actually bring you back in to review a Bronx tale because the Bronx tale is one of my favorite movies. And of course it's directed by Robert De Niro. This is uh, a matter of fact, he dedicated this movie to his father. This only had a budget of $10 million at the box office at the time and uh, for the budget and stuff. And then of of course at the box office, it only made 17.3 million. But if you look at it today's world, whenever you look at budgeting, when you look at box office numbers and especially when filming in New York, you're looking at a $150 million budget compared to when it was in the nineties. Yeah. So, yeah. I really have. I, here's the thing. I loved how it opens up with Clodgerall, where you wind up seeing him introducing us into his world and about how he actually looks up to these gangsters because he has no idea. He is still has his innocence in a, in a way where he doesn't quite get what they're doing. All they, their, his friends are mimicking what they do. You also have Robert De Niro, who plays his father, who's actually trying to help him on the right path. He's basically the conservative parent in this movie that has the values and and wants to see his son do right. But what do you think of this film? Oh my God. Uh, I mean, there are so many, first of all, I loved it. I, it it was a film that resonated so deeply for me um, in so many ways. Uh, My, my dad, when he was putting himself through uh, college was a bus driver in New York city my grandfather was a bus driver in New York City, and then he ended up being a mechanic uh, that worked on the buses uh, in New Jersey. So, I mean, it was an unbelievable parallel. Um, my two oldest sons from my first marriage, their last name is Anello, uh, their their grandfather, which is the name of the character in the show. Um, the fact that Palminteri did this at 43 years old after doing the the play it resonates so much with me with getting a chance to do game day and um, which has a semi autobiographical aspect to it. So, you know, John, it hits me so deep on so many levels and being an Italian American myself as well. Um, there's so much in it that resonates, but thematically it resonates with me too. So, I mean, I was, I was absolutely thrilled when um, you asked me to come on and thank you for, for asking me to come on. You're welcome. Because I, I love this movie. Um, in fact, it, you know, watching it, and I've watched it many times, I watched it with my 14-year-old uh, this weekend, and uh, he absolutely loved it. 14 years old, different generation, still <laughs> resonates. It's just a it's it's a fantastic movie, man, and I it's very near and dear to my heart. 
Same as well. And I'm just going to give out a couple of plot points in case anybody doesn't know what this movie's about or anything like that, because it is um, an, in the film in the 90s. And some people are, might want to catch up on something they haven't seen before. I know a couple of my friends, well, they're a little bit younger than me and also run a podcast and they watch this for the first time. So, but basically it's in 1960, Lorenzo works as an MTA bus driver in Belmont, a working class Italian American neighborhood in the Bronx and with his wife, Rosina and their nine year old son, Clausrol. Clausrol becomes a in, uh, amored with the criminal life and mafia pre- presence in the neighborhood led by Sonny. One day Clausrol and Sonny both wind up clashing together where basically he, Clausrol winds up witnessing something. We're going to get done in a few minutes of what he witnesses. And that's how him and Sonny winds up becoming friends. But aside from that, even though this is based off a musical and everything, and I'm not, not much for a musical person at all, but you can tell that Rob De Niro used the musical aspect to it, though, without having to actually incorporate a lot of musical songs or anything like that. Yeah, you have the doo-wop, but the doo-wop, to me, represents New York. It represents the 1960s lifestyle. It, the music in this becomes the character of its own. And then also, too, you also have... the. I like it whenever Clausrol is actually introducing us to the Italian neighborhood. And he goes, you can actually hear the Italian uh, na- neighborhood of the of Italian lovers uh, de- walking down the street trying to woo their woman. And all of a sudden you hear the Italian guy cussing at his woman, telling him to get it inside of the car. Then you see that going on as the doo-wop stuff is happening. And then, of course, Claudra wants to say, this is my stoop. This is where I watched Sunny all those days that my friends and I sat there. I like that. This is an f- introduction and a, basically a good way of actually introducing something before we actually see something. So I definitely like how they how Robert Nero directed that aspect. And seeing the stoop there and seeing where Clausrol grew up in, in a nighttime kind of atmosphere, it brings it that much more to life to me versus doing it during the daytime. And it, it captures the dramatic effect of it. Mm-hmm. Me. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think one of the things about the about it is 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 the uh, you know Chaz Palminteri's story um, within it where it is semi autobiographical. Um, the interesting thing is Sonny was not just one person, but was actually three people that he made into this this character of Sonny. Um, and I think it was very very interesting the way there was elements of um, you know almost. Not not fairy tale aspects, but there are elements of fairy tale aspects to it. There's things about it, and I, and I know you're a, you're a Boston guy. I'm a Philly guy, and we grew up. You know, these guys are are very much looked up to. You know, they're they're almost like mythological, um, iconic characters, man. You know that that we all mm-hmm. you know that that we looked up to, and I and I understood where he was coming from with it as he was looking up to this guy. So let me ask you a question because this is this was my um, this was my first hurdle with it, and I you know I I've probably seen this movie close I mean, over ten times easily. Um, thematically, there's two themes that I feel like are really occurring in this movie. One is there's nothing sadder than wasted talent. That's that's a theme that goes through it. And then the other one is the question that's that's asked a couple times, and is is it better to be loved than feared? 
Um, and I always ping pong back on and forth on what I really feel like thematically they're trying to knock on the door with. What's your opinion, John? Do you, which one do you feel like they're really hitting on thematically? Do you feel like there's another theme that's involved there with it? To be honest with you, the wasted talent always stuck with me because we see it in today's culture. We see it um, in everyday life, especially with mental dealing with mental health. You wind up seeing people battling with that. At the same time, that's when they come their lowest time. But yeah, you have this talent, but yet you're not doing anything with it. And the same thing with people who are like great at painting, but what are you doing with your life? Why aren't you doing more than what you're supposed to be doing? And that's right. something that I always originated with me was. Um, wasted talent. As a matter of fact, the actor who plays Collateral got himself in some trouble and everything, and it's kind of self-reflecting back on that character and how he played that character and then how his life later on took the turn for its worst and everything, too. So, I thought it was... Yeah, Leo Broncato. I mean, he... he, he, um, First of all, props, right, man? He did a great job. He did a fantastic job. You know, the thing about it was when he was cast in this movie, he he didn't really even audition initially. He was on a beach, and the casting director saw him on the beach <laughs> and was like, if that isn't a, you know, a young De Niro, I don't know who is. So he, they brought him in to audition for this. You know, he had drug uh, drug problems. I, I had read that like all through the filming, he was like hanging out with some pretty, you know, iffy people, both De Niro and uh, Palminteri called him over and was like, dude, you know, it's your shot. It's like, you gotta, you gotta let right. this shit go and focus in on what you're doing here. Cause this is, this is your bit. Now you hit the nail right on the head, man. Wasted talent. I mean, that's it. So this guy, I mean, he ended up going down the drug path did a breaking and entering with his buddy. A cop got shot and killed. And he was an accessory. And the guy did time on it. I mean, think about that for a minute. That is so incredible. Could you imagine what it would be like to do a movie with De Niro and, you know, doing this right. thing? And and that, that must have been just, like, crushing, you know? Exactly. Because here's the thing. I don't think people realize how how much of a big shot you actually get. This is like, in the words of Sonny, this is like a once in a lifetime opportunity. This stuff doesn't come every single day. You know what I mean? But people are so trapped in within their own lifestyle that they don't see the bigger picture because they're so attached to what they know versus what the unknown is. And the unknown is actually scarier than what the known is. So therefore they stick with what's what they know. And so it happens to be, that's what happened with this kid, I think. But when you look and there's, there's something else I want to t- touch on, though, too. You were talking about how these characters are iconic, about the mobsters, about how the we looked up to these uh, things just like Claudrell and his friends did with these characters. So yeah. it's basically we grew up with these characters the same way that Claudrell and his friends grew up with these characters and everything. Right. And we became attached to that gangster life just like Claudrell did and right. everything. And then... You know, my favorite, uh, there's a lot of my favorite scenes in this movie. There's, even though the uh, test that Sonny gives him to do on uh, Jill, that's a little dated now. <laughs> that's that's a little dated. We'll get to that too. But, you know, so he learned two different lifestyles. He learned the street life, and then he also got it from the other way from his father with the education and stuff, so he can be twice as smart. 
So I right. like that. Uh, then, of course, you see C, Claudrol. He's doing everything that his friends are doing. And then Robert De Niro's, hey, what are you doing? Get back over there on that stoop and everything. Whenever he's trying to run after the, uh, the bus and everything. Mm-hmm. So he's still trying to discipline his son. And, of course, you know, back in those days in the 1960s, you're only allowed to eat meat like once a week. So it was like a big deal back in those days. My, my mom, I didn't grow up in the 60s, by the way. I grew up in the, I was I was born in 85. But my mom told me stories. So, therefore, that's how I know a little bit of that background. Yeah. But... But, you know, it was a big deal in a Catholic. (laughs) I I know you were. (laughs) But, yeah, man. um, Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. I I, I found this this to be very interesting. So what's a very interesting bit in this movie is that um, you have a um, you have a, a very different take on a lover's triangle. But this isn't a lover's triangle. This is a paternal triangle. So instead of having a character who's torn between two lovers and trying to decide what to do, you have a character that's torn between two fathers with two Mm -hmm. perspectives and what to do. And it's a very, very compelling and interesting story um, to look at things that way. Now, looking at Robert De Niro, in this movie playing uh, Lorenzo, you know, he's, isn't he like mostly everything that all of us aspire to be as men, you know, we work hard or as women, not men, not to be sexist about it. Men and women. Right. Right. As adults that we look at it and we like, we, we, we want to be true to who we are. We want to work our asses off to do the best we can for our families. We will make whatever sacrifice we can for the betterment of the whole and even if we have to give up a little bit on what our own personal dreams are, what's most important is we're true. We have integrity. We do what we want to do. So a lot of interesting things occur in this movie that that, that uh, I, I just want to talk on a little bit, if it's okay with you, because it really yeah. blew Yeah, that's probably fine. Um, you, you, the scene when they offer Robert De Niro money to come and work for Sonny, you know, yeah. And he doesn't take the he doesn't take the money. And he says, you know, I, I'm OK. I'm getting by. I mean, what adult does not look at that and go, you know, there is a human there. There, there is a person that, that like that walks it like they talk it. What I loved about the movie is they took that and they and they made us see, you know, we looked at that and they made us feel such an affinity and such a respect and and, and an aspiration to be like. De Niro is in it. But here's the interesting thing, John. Remember the bit where um, when um, C falls for uh, Jane Williams, the character Jane, mm-hmm. and he goes to his father and he asks his father basically what his father thinks about interracial relationships. relationships. And, yeah. And the father says, marry your own, stick within your own. Don't, don't, you know, he he basically took a viewpoint that was like pretty narrow-minded, pretty much like not what you would want to hear if you were C and asking your father. But basically he was saying, it's not going to work out. Stay with your own people. When he went to Sonny with the same question, Sonny was like, hey, is she great? Does she make you happy? Well, then it's all good. This is what was very interesting about this movie mm-hmm. is that they didn't make – 
De Niro this one-dimensional superhero, and they didn't make Sonny this one-dimensional badass guy that did all the wrong stuff, you know? And I thought that that was a, a, a really brave decision for them to, to, uh, to do in there, especially De Niro has been in many interracial um, relationships and stuff. So Relationships. Yeah, he's an open-minded guy, man. So you know that they, it was a concerted effort to, uh, to, to, to show no one's all good, no one's all bad. We're all kind of a mishmash of good and bad. Right. Your take on that, man. I like how, you know, C goes up to, first he goes up to Sonny and talks about it. He goes, and he's worried about what his friends think because you're a teenager. So you're going to care about what your friends think as right. a teenager and how they act. And he goes, what difference does it make? As long as you're happy, that's all that matters. All those people are, that's in your life now is just going to be in there for a season, basically is what he's saying. I'm just paraphrasing. I'm not going for verbatim. But he's saying uh, basically those people are not going to matter 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Those people are not going to be in your life. What matters is whenever you and your girl are underneath those covers and it's just you and her, that's all that matters. Nobody else, nobody else matters in your life at that point in time. And also, too, I like how he then wants to double check his cards, right? So he goes over to De Niro when he's shaving, and he says, Joey also is, ta- uh, is talking about seeing a color girl and everything. What do you think about that? He goes, what do you mean? Can Joey also find someone of his own or whatever? He goes, Dad, really? He said, he's like... All I'm saying is stick with your own kind. But I like how, you know, he's going after his own heart. C has his own values. And like you said, both of these guys are heroes in his life. And it's a love story between fathers right? and everything. And collateral stuck there in the middle. It's like, what's where, who do I go to? Where's the line that I draw? And when, 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 what decision do I make and what decision is the right decision for me as a person? Right. Because also, too, he also learned this other lesson, though, that he says. Uh, he winds up saying that whatever you do in life also dictates what you do in the future, though, too. So I like how he played off that with what Sonny said he learned from what Sonny taught him. And then he's also learning from what De Niro's teaching him. So it was a clash of both. And these are two father-like figures that C is actually looking up to, mm-hmm. which I really like. And then, you know, if it wasn't for that whole entire sh- that all went hard, which who it is at the very end is Joe Pitchy. Right. He comes in and he hits the guy, the bumper, the rear bumper. Right. And then here comes Sonny. He saves Joe Pitchy's life. And so if it wasn't for that day and him not ratting out to the cops, C ratting out to the cops, they would not have met that day. Right. Okay, so question about that. The critics of the movie have often said that what they're doing is they're taking a person that is a well, I wouldn't I mean it's in the eyes of the beholder. Okay, so is he a bad person? Is Sonny a bad person? Is Sonny certainly a dangerous person? He's certainly a violent person. Look what right. he did to the bikers. In the uh, in in that scene, that wasn't a little you know that wasn't a little ass pat. That was that was a a, a brutal violent beatdown. That was a beatdown. Yeah, that was beatdown. And he and he and he brutally killed that guy in the streets. Now, 
later on when Pesci comes into it and he says, you know, and, and C asks him, there was more to it than that. And his, and his comment was, uh, yeah, there was more to it than that. So my question to you is, and what I think a lot of the critics of the movie are saying is, is there a, is there a grandizement involved towards Sonny, like trying to act like his behavior is okay? Did they were they not responsible enough? I'm not saying I believe this, but these are things that have been said mm. about it. Like, like in were, other words, it's glorifying what he was doing, basically, yeah. without any consequence for his actions. Right, because Lorenzo, and there's a very brilliant line, one of the best written lines in the entire film, that says, and I'm playing devil's advocate now because I, I do love the movie, but I'm just looking at, at the different sides of it. When he says to him, when uh, C says to his father, did I did I do the right thing? You know, and the father said, you did a good thing for a bad person. Man. Right. That was a really heavy line, man, and a well-written line and a thoughtful line. What's 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 your what's your what's your take on that? Man? I believe that Sonny also disciplined C. Yeah, he saw what he was doing, because remember that if it wasn't no consequences behind his actions, he would have let C go ahead and buy that gun from that punk that was selling guns right. that that very next day. So therefore, remember when he says, he goes, what the hell are you doing? He goes, yeah. this, is not, this is not the life for you. This is my right. life. You're not right. supposed to be doing what I'm doing right. and everything. So to me, it's not, he's not glorifying what he does. He knows what he's doing. He's an, he's a, he's an adult. He knows uh, what he's doing is wrong, but he knows that this that, is life. Man? Did you buy huh? that? Did you yeah. feel? Did you feel like, okay, this guy runs this street, he runs this hood, he runs this this fiefdom with an iron fist, and now he's dispensing this wisdom, you know? But he's not living by this wisdom. I'm not. I'm not knocking it. I'm just curious to see how you feel about it because this was mm. the, this was the cut on the movie when it received cuts was was like. Well, what is he? What, it, what you know? You know, did, was he was um was a palmentary too close to this amalgamation of figures to see that this sort of wisdom that this guy would dispense was somewhat hypocritical, or was he making a statement on hypocrisy? I mean, what what do you think in that? I don't think it's hypocrisy. I think it's about learning from your own mistakes, so that way somebody else doesn't go ahead and do it. Because I, here's the thing: we I know you're a uh, you're a father. I'm yep. about to be a stepfather and everything. But you don't want to see your kids go down the same road that you went and made the same mistakes you did. And I feel like that's what Sonny was doing, was trying to tell him, look, this is my lifestyle. Don't make the same mistakes that I'm doing. You still have the rest of your life ahead of you. And what you do dictates what we do, what, what you do in the future. Right. So I feel like this, man. I feel like... This is not hypocrisy. It's about learning from the mistakes you learn that you're trying to learn and teach on to somebody else because you made those mistakes and he got sucked into that life of the mob and he doesn't want those mistakes being reflected onto C. So of course, that's what that's what it looks like to me. I don't think that I think the critic was overlooking it when he said that because of the fact that to me it's not glorifying him in any way. It's about him trying to tell C, hey, look. This is the road that you're going to be going on if you still hang out with those kids. If you do what I'm doing and stuff like that, don't do what I'm doing. Right. And everything. Well, so, 
You know, John, the one thing about it is in, in, in going to that place. And again, I'm playing devil's advocate because I am I, I'm a big fan of the movie. But I'm looking at it and thinking about it, especially seeing it in my age now. When I first saw that movie, I was, you know, I was a, a young guy. You know, I was I was younger than you when I saw that movie when it first came out. Um, when he goes to uh, Sonny and he says to Sonny, is it better to be loved than feared? What does Sonny say? He says, I give my I give my guys just enough, but not too much. They don't need me. And he says the most important thing is accessibility, that people can see him on the street and they fear him. So even though he's dispensing these wisdoms, there is an element that is he he's not buying into them. He's still like, man, you know, I he's still working on the world he's working in or working in the world. Working he's working on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he still sees things with the axioms that he sees things with, which um, that's why I don't buy what the critics said in a lot of those aspects, because I think they showed a lot of sides with Sonny in doing that. But I do think it's worth discussing because I, I bet you when they were shooting this and the decisions were being made to show these things, because as you said earlier, this was a one man show. There was a lot of dynamics going on here. And uh, there was decisions that had to be made about Sonny and about Lorenzo, you know? Mm-hmm. So if you if you show Sonny saying, I'm living this lifestyle, but it's all bullshit, and don't do it because it sucks, which they kind of hit around to, but when push comes to shove, that's still who Sonny is. Right. At the end of the day, that's who he is. And right. he is who he is. There's no changing him because of the fact that's – because he's been in it for so long, and that's all he knows. Right. So, most definitely. And then, of course, another thing I want to talk about, you know how you were talking about how De Niro didn't accept any money from Sonny yeah. or anything like that? And then you see C starting to do the gambling over there, start waiting tables, and basically his uh, De Niro's character, Lorenzo, is looking at it as blood money because that's exactly what it is. He's right. Basically, he's done collateral. Somebody died for that money. Right. That you don't see. Yeah, you see the paper. Yeah, you see that. But what did he have to do to get that money? Right. And everything. And so, basically, I like how, you know, Lorenzo goes over to Sonny after he winds up finding all that, all, finding out his son has a bigger paycheck than he does. Mm-hmm. And he said, Sonny, what, what are you doing? I told you I didn't want my son to be associated with you. I told you that I didn't want him to be part of this world or anything. He goes, well, maybe he wants to be a part of it. <laughs> so he's just embracing C to do this while he's basically the drunk uncle that just lets his, the, the nephew does whatever he wants, if you think about it. But... <laughs> He's <laughs> like, hey, all right, you know, we'll do some dice. We'll go ahead. I'll teach you how to play some poker. Hey, forget about it, you know. Right. But <laughs> play a little vino, it'll be good. It's, you know, man, John, it's so true. I mean, I find myself doing this kind of shit all the time, man. Where, <laughs> you know, your your kids come to you, or young people will come to you, and they'll ask you your opinion on something. And I find myself sometimes it's like I'll give my opinion, and then I'll think. You know, is that sound advice or is that me just like trying to um, 
you know, bolster the decisions I've made in the past, you know, rectify or, or, you know, support what I've done. And I'll tell you, another great part of this movie was I, I personally seeing it again, just a couple days ago as an older guy, I saw in his eyes such a wisdom of when Sonny was dispensing stuff where Sonny was going, did I do the right thing? Is this the right thing? God, I never thought about this deeper now. Maybe this isn't the right thing, but I'm going to dispense the wisdom that I know that's worked for me. Cause look at me, I've got this fiefdom. I'm on, I'm, I'm you know, I'm king of this stoop here, you know, right. and, um, it was played so, so, so well with that, man. That that and, and I understand that myself when people come to me or they'll say, what's your opinion on this or what's your opinion on that? And let me tell you, man, it doesn't matter whether you're your age or my age. You're, you're never a thousand percent sure that the, the opinion or the decision is the right one to make. And, you know, for a 43-year-old guy, and I'm sure he wrote that younger than 43, you know, I thought it showed a lot of wisdom on his part to show, uh, you know, an older man that was, you know, not sure if he was, you know, justifying his actions or, or actually giving sound advice. Um, I really loved that part of, of what was done and loved the performance too within it of, of what he did. He, I mean, that's another thing. What a great performance by him. Just fantastic. Yeah. Had a little bit of tech issues. Sorry about that. Okay, that's okay. So yeah. I mean, I, I just felt it was a very mature thing uh, for Palminteri to do in the film. I mean, I, I, I think it was beyond his years, wisdom beyond his years at that stage. What's your thought on that? I think it's definitely, be, to be honest with you, I think as you get older, you start winding up, finding out things that you learn from this movie. And I think this is also whenever the... Uh, to be honest with you, I think this is a perfect coming-of-age movie for us as adults. Because here's the thing. As a kid, yeah, you want to see the gangsters. Yeah, you want to see that gangster lifestyle and stuff. And as you get older, you start... I think I'm having some... Can you're, you, back, uh, you're back. There we go. So as a gangster, you said as an adult, and then you went out. So Okay, so as a, ga- as a gangster and everything, and stuff like that, too, like as a kid watching this film, you want to see the gangsters, you want to see the shootouts, you want to see all that stuff. Right. But as you come into your own, develop your own personality, right? that's when you wind up, you know, you wind up loving the character of Sonny. You wind up loving the character of Robert De Niro's character where you can relate to that character because now you're no longer thinking as a child. Now you're thinking as a man. Right. So, so John, is it is it a gangster movie or is it a coming of age movie? I think it's a coming of age movie featuring a uh, gangster movie, a uh, gangster film. That's what I'm I thinking. I agree too. I feel this. I feel. I agree with you. I, I you know, and I think that's the beauty of it. Um, I, you know, I, I so much love the movie. But let me ask you a question. Um, do you? What was your thought on De Niro's directing it? Did you do you feel that this story and this situation would have? And I'm not saying I feel this way, but I'm I, I again I've heard this put forth where it's like, man, if Scorsese would have directed that movie, it would have been a better movie. You know, if if Coppola would have directed it, it would have been a better movie. Do, how do you feel about uh, Scorsese? Because it was his first movie, as it was a uh, uh, right. for a screenplay too. 
do you feel like there were too many firsts with this movie or do you feel like the first gave it a certain um energy and a certain you know trip man where it was like we were we, it was like wow we're witnessing something new so new here what's your thought i think we're witnessing a different kind of atmosphere compared to Sir, uh sorsese because sorsese is going to do his wide angle shots his camera angles are different than de niro's De, de niro's is like one very one-dimensional when it comes down to his camera angles mm-hmm. because to me the camera angles are basically the character describing what the, those characters are and right. it's also representing the bronx in the way that the Bronx is actually set in the 1960s. He's not trying to give you the whole layout of New York. Uh-huh. He's giving you one section of New York. Right. And all, well, two sections of New York, if you think about it the black neighborhood and, of course, the Italian neighborhood. But right but there. Either way. Right. 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 All inside together. Right. But it's still one, one shot. It's still a one shot movie. It's still, to me, is perfect in the setting that he's trying to tell it in because of the fact that. You know, he's not having to do all these wide-angle shots and do all this other stuff. He knows the story he wants to tell. He knows how to actually zoom in on the characters whenever he needs to zoom in on it and zoom out whenever he needs to zoom out to capture certain shots, certain elements. And then even that one shot whenever Claudrol and uh, Sonny are in the car and you see the uh, angle of basically this one-shot angle whenever Sonny's backing up, see the camera angle going backwards. Mm-hmm. And everything as Sonny's backing up into that parking spot. And then you also see that. And I like that angle. We wouldn't get that camera angle. Yet. That's a very so interesting I'm, point. I, you know, that's, that's the, so you feel like he, he, you feel like there was an element, obviously we saw it where there was an element of like, he was paying homage or respect to Scorsese. Cause obviously he, he learned a lot mm-hmm. of things from Scorsese, but in the same respect, if you go back, you know, and you read some of the history with Scorsese and De Niro, it's a very interesting thing. You know, I didn't know this. I, I you're you're probably more of the film historian than I am, um, but I I was surprised to see how much De Niro in a lot of those early movies was the he was like the voice of reason. He was the Paul McCartney to to Scorsese's John Lennon. You know, he was more of the guy trying to pull it together and the organizational, even, dare I say, more corporate guy pulling it in like, let's make this, let's get. Scorsese was almost the rock star that was more out of control, that had the drug problems, that was like going, you know, on this sort of rock star track. And I think that um, there is an element of Scorsese, obviously, he's an old dude now. He's not really in that world. But I really feel like I, I felt a lot of the Scorsese influence in the movie. But I do feel like Bone Dragon in it and figuring out what it is that he wanted to do. I haven't looked this up. Did De Niro direct anything else after that? I don't think he did, to be honest with you. This is actually his first movie and stuff like that. Right. I don't think I don't think he did anything else. Uh, it's kind of interesting, though, if you think about it. I know. And, and I mean... What a great beginning and a terrific movie, and then to not to not do anymore. That's that's really odd. I you know I I forgot to look that up before we went on uh, air tonight. But I mean, it, it, I, I'd be curious to know if he directed anything else because uh, I mean, to me, as a first time him being a first time director, I think he did such a great job, especially because he had a lot of actors that were not um, you know professional actors playing some fairly key roles. 
like the mother was not a professional actress at all. No, but it felt natural though. I'm glad they didn't get a known actress or anything like that to play the mother because of the fact that I feel like the mother was like the girl next door type, especially for the 1960s. And so I thought it was more relatable. He was man. Huh? She was her son read for, um, um, C young C he came in for the audition, didn't get the role and Palminteri heard her talking in the um, at the callback and was like, God, that woman sounds just like my mother. She never acted before. That's crazy, man. I didn't know that, though. Yeah, you know, man, it, it, it was like they did that a lot. Like uh, it, like Eddie Mush, uh, you know, which was, God, that was a funny character. There was a lot of funny stuff in this, man. You know, there, there was a lot of humor mixed in there. He's a real dude. Like there was a lot of guys in it that were real guys. Like like literally, you had the main actors and you had Pesci's you know star cameo deal in it. But other than that, you had mostly non actors that were in it that were you know that he was navigating for the sake of you know authenticity, but right. wasn't working with like trained actors. Man, in the situation. I like that. Me too. To be honest, I, I like that idea because of the fact that it's authentic. But not only is it authentic, but it actually sets a scale for a new way of storytelling. Yeah. In a sense, because of the fact that these guys look like normal guys out on the street out the Bronx that you can actually hang out with. Exactly. There's that I knew I knew somebody that had a bad toupee. I knew somebody uh, off the streets like the guy that they that Claudrol winds up stealing some of the fruit off of. So it's com- becomes re- very relatable to where you can actually say, "Hey, look, I think I know someone that's like that." And even with the mother and everything too, it's a very girl next door type of feel to it. Also, too, she has that New York Bronx kind of attitude and everything too. And my my favorite line that I I remember, there's two favorite lines in this movie, is this. When Clajeral tries to go to communion to cover up the murder rap, and he goes, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. He goes, what have you done? He goes, uh, I didn't eat meat, and I forgot some of the other stuff he did. But then after that, he goes, okay, well, do three Hail Marys. Wow, that's not bad, Father, for a murder rap. He goes, what? Nothing. Bye, Father. <laughs> and then I love there's also, <laughs> yeah. Tell, man. yeah, I agree. And then there's also this other one. He goes, "What did I tell you about going over that bar over there?" He turned, and then he go. Then the wife goes, "Yeah, didn't I tell you?" He goes, "What? You're not allowed to go there either." <laughs> <laughs> there are so many funny lines. There are so many good lines in it. The the whole scene with Mush when they were like <laughs> uh, playing craps and putting him in the bathroom. And yeah, want your money to touch my money, and um, I mean there was. You know, when they talked about the character that was the whale and they said, you know, you don't walk with him. You, you know, you walk amongst him, you know, and his shadow killed a dog. I mean, there was like so much city ranking New York humor in it. I mean, look, it's 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 just a treasure of a movie. Um, It's not a perfect movie by any stretch. But man, that movie has a lot of heart. It's just got so much heart, you know, and there's so many aspects. Again, you know, my 14 year old watching with me the other day, we watched it and he was, John, man, I'm telling you, dude, he was just blown away, man. He loved it. He loved it, man. I mean, he was like, it just, it just spoke to him. 
you know? And if you right. look at a movie made in 1993, you know what? It's so funny. We think about things like, man, 93, I mean, for you, 93, you were you were a kid in 93. You were eight right. years old, right? You know? Yeah, I was, I was eight years old at the children. time. You know, my first son was born in, in, in 85, man. So, I mean, you know, 93, I was like a full grown-ass man and having life and all that stuff going on. But I'll tell you something, man. It resonated to me then, and it resonates to me now. And my 14-year-old who spends most of his life, you know, he's a great student. He's a great kid. But, you know, he's in that YouTube, TikTok, you know, meme culture. I mean, that's what right. he sat down and he watched this movie. Dude, it spoke to him. What the hell, man? That's art. I mean, that's, that's art for real. And if it really speaks to people, if it really reaches out and it does that, that's why I was so impressed by you be- picking this movie. I got to ask you, did you pick this movie in terms of being its proximity to Father's Day? Because I thought that was a brilliant choice, man, to to to, um, to review this so close to the Father's Day thing. To be honest with you, it does pay homage to Father's Day. And that's also one of the reasons why I picked it. Also, too, I like introducing people to films that they haven't seen before, too. And this is also an underrated mafia movie because nobody really talks about it. Everybody's like, oh, what's better? Goodfellas. What's better? Godfather. Um, Casino. But they never talk about A Bronx Tale. A Bronx Tale is so underrated as a film. It is. And this is a perfect Father's Day kind of film to me where you can actually teach values to your kids. Where they can actually, maybe they might actually have something that sinks into them. Maybe the waste of talent quote. Maybe it might be something that Sonny teaches, which, you know, could be a good or bad thing. But still, maybe it's something, maybe it's just something that's there that clicks and be like, you know what? This is a, this is something that might actually originate with me later on whenever I have kids for my, of my own and stuff. So it might be something on this. I'm sure you're going to be a great dad, man. And you have great instincts. I'll I'll tell you something that, that is a, that is a, um, a tribute to you, man. So, like I said, I've seen this movie. I've seen this movie more times than I can count, you know, because it is one of my favorite movies. Uh, And anytime I'm channel surfing and it comes up, I'm there, I'm there from whatever moment I see it to where, you know, I love the movie, but, I put it on Saturday and I, um, I, you know, I started, I, you know, I, I started watching it and my dad who's 84, my mom, who's 89, my wife, who's 43, my 14 year old son, my 27 year old son, everybody came in and they were like, they were there. They were glued into it. man. And, you know, when you have a movie that's 20 years old, you know, and people, are that glued in from every generation from fifties generation to my generation, to your generation, to my 14 year olds generation, dude, there's something there. I mean, there's something that is really there with this story, man. And uh, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful movie, man. This is a beautiful movie. Also dude, like you said, a movie that's 20 years old and is able to capture people still today. In a 2022 type of world that we live in, that that speaks volumes. That goes to show you that De Niro is a good director. It's just that he hasn't directed anything after this. This was actually dedicated to his father. And then after he dedicated this to his father, that was it. 
So yeah, this is actually very reminiscent to Father's Day because of the fact that because you have the two fathers, the two people signing in. You also have, of course, the Nero's character. Then you also have the Nero who's actually uh, dedicating this to his father, and then you have the son in the middle. Father's amazing. That stuff with his dad. You've heard about that that stuff with his dad, right, man? Like his dad was an amazing artist, man. Right? I didn't hear about that. I. I didn't oh, dive into his that. His father was like, um, in terms of um, like Pollock, like some of the, 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 the you know, the, the great modern um, abstract artists. I mean, his father is literally one of the great modern abstract artists, man. Like Robert De Niro's background is so different than our perception of Robert De Niro. You know, I mean, his mother is waspy, Irish, not Italian at all. His father was a um, closeted uh, gay man um, who created this amazing stuff. He was actually the, one of the main um, artists in this new um, abstract movement that was going on in New York City at the time. He, was, he had horrible agoraphobia, was afraid to go out of the studio. I mean, De Niro grew up in a very artistic world, and his mother... Dude, his mother was like into real estate, um, really was like one of the, the people that really like figured out, you know, what to do in Tribeca there and to make. So his background is very interesting when you see it. And this uh, so much of the character that is Robert De Niro that we've come to see, whether it's Casino or it's Goodfellows or it's Taxi Driver or it's Johnny Boy in Mean Streets. This is... um. This is part of his nature because he absorbed it and saw it in the neighborhood that he grew up in. But he was he was a outsider within that neighborhood, you know, man, where Scorsese was in it like Scorsese right. was lower income, you know, Upper East Side, you know, like Hell's Kitchen Italian guy, man. Right. But I, like De Niro really brought together all of his background in this movie. I thought it was really impressive. I thought so too. I, I, I don't like, I, we have to, I, if somebody can write in or somebody could tell us if they can look it up, if he's done another movie, if he hasn't, I wish he would. And I wish he cast me <laughs> in one of his movies because he did a great job, especially for a first time director. It was just really inspiring. I mean, I would actually cast you in a Rob De Niro movie if I was a casting director. Get I'm there, just going to say that. <laughs> I will. I'll get there one day. <laughs> if Rob De Niro had a Twitter account, I would definitely tweet out to him, hey, look, what are you doing? You need to go in here and get Marty over and everything and sign you up. Because That's seriously, right. man, the acting that you did in game day was fantastic. Everybody in that film did a fantastic job in that film. Thank you, man. Game day. You're so welcome. It was, uh, it was, it was really a, um, it was, it, 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 it was a labor of love. And uh, we're getting ready to get it. Thank God, we're, you know, pretty soon we'll have an announcement. Pretty soon it's going to be on one of the platforms other than, you know, and you can see it on Amazon or Vimeo. But, um, you know, we we really are proud of it. I will tell you this. Um, it was a great chance to work with a great director and work with actors that really, really gave and cared in every single scene. And that's what I saw in Bronx Tale. I loved whether they were amateur actors or professional actors, 
didn't you feel the spirit in that movie? Every single person bought in, John. You know, man. Yeah. They bought I, in. All those actors sold me on their performances. Everybody was glued, dialed in to what they needed to do in that film. Game day to me, it still sticks with me. I'm not going to lie, man. Like, there are times that I'll go back to game day and start thinking about things because it sticks with me. That's how great of a film that movie is. And if a movie makes you, if you're at work uh, stocking shelves or doing whatever you're doing and you just stop for a minute and think about a certain scene, then that movie has you. It's got its claws in you and making you think about things. And that's what Game Day did to me. I mean, I'm going to be, like I said, I'm straight up with you. That movie was fantastic. Thank you. And you're not, and like I said in the review, you're very welcome because, like I said in the review, yeah, the the characters are not great. You know what I'm saying? They all have their ugly side, but you're rooting for the situation to get better. And everybody goes through different situations and tribulations and everything, too. So that's the same thing with collateral. Yes, I'm doing, I, I did like a little bit of a double take over there, make it related, put it over to collateral because collateral was all going through his own su- stuff, though, too, battling on yeah, what directions to go on. Absolutely. And, and first of all, and I'm not just saying this, man, I, I, I mean it sincerely. I can't begin to tell you how much it means to me to have somebody as bright and as thoughtful and as artistic as you that felt it. Um, it being, it means the world to me when I hear things like that. And we've had a lot of people that say that I want more people to see the movie because I really do believe there's something there. And I can tell you, honestly, I've been, I've done, you name it. I've done it, dude. I've been on a million TV shows. I've done a million commercials. I've done a lot of stuff. There was something very special. There was a, there was a, there was a decision to try to do something really special in that movie. And we really came together, and I'm proud of it. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I can't tell you how much that means to me for that. And I really believe um, that we need, not just in movies, um, but in life, in politics, in the world, in everything, we need people to commit to ideas. You know, some people believe this. Some people believe that. We need to commit to our feelings and have honest discussions with each other. Right. Whether we're on the same page, you know, that doesn't matter. What matters is I tell the truth, you tell the truth, we come together. And the point of our confrontation, if there is in fact a confrontation, is to find the truth, not to not to win, not to win the argument, not to justify no. our own positions. But to find what's true, man, we, we, we to try some common ground and yeah. be because I feel like this in the world that we live in and some of that, we're too busy trying to fight each other versus trying out trying what the truth is. Also, too, we're all in our own ideas. And instead of listening to somebody else's opinions and hearing them out, yeah. people are so close to just cutting people off because their uh, feelings are different than the than what they are instead Try and find some levels. Try and find some common ground with the person and talk to them. And maybe you might actually find some common ground or learn something from them. Because every single day, it's a lesson. So, Yeah. John, you're right. And, you know, here's where I fail almost all the time. Here's where I lose it constantly. I have – I'm blessed to have my parents still alive. And, I, you know, I – 
man, I battle with my dad all the time. I battle with my son sometimes. We adore each other. We have different viewpoints on things. But I'm coming to a point now. I said this to my wife the other day. We were out on a run and we were talking to each other. And I said, you know, the main thing for me right now that I'm trying to get my shit together with, you know, and I hope I do, is that what's most important to win the argument or to find the truth? If we can do what I currently am so so at doing, <laughs> but as a people, if we can find a way to look for the truth and tell the truth how we see it and to look for the truth in a debate or an argument, isn't that what it's really about? You know, it's yeah. it's really about, you know, I'm going to tell you what I feel. I'm going to passionately say this. And if I think you're full of shit about this, I'm going to say you're full of shit. And if you say, I think you're full of shit about this, whatever. But at the end of the day, if we can look at it and say, damn, man, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe this is right. Is my point to say I'm great? I know what's right. Bullshit on that. That's bullshit. What's right? What's the truth, man? That's what it comes down to. And I think, um, man, if movies can do that, if art can do that, if news programs can do it, if people can do it in general, we're going to be a lot better, man. We're going to be a lot better off. Most definitely, man. Like, I wish that people would have more time just not fighting over each other and speaking over each other, because I think that's also another thing, too, is you're not listening. It's kind of like that one quote from uh, White Man Can't Jump, where you have Woody Harrelson listening to a Jimi Hendrix, right? And Wesley Snipes goes, what are you listening to? Oh, I'm listening to I'm I'm listening to what uh, Jimmy is saying. No, you're not listening to what he's saying. You're hearing you're not hearing what he's saying. You're listening to what he's saying. And that's what people need to do is stop listening and start hearing what that other person's having to say. Amen. And then apply. That's you're right. That's a great part of that movie, man, for sure, dude. And another thing too is start applying what uh, start applying whatever you learned and teach it to somebody else so that way they can also learn it. Yeah. And then maybe they might, hey, look, uh, this is another thing. You can just say, hey, look, I might have a different opinion than you do, but hear me out on this and tell me what you think. And then that person might say, you know what? I may not agree with you, but let me hear, let me tell you my reasons as to why I don't agree with you. Yep. Then you're having a conversation. You're not battling each other like five-year-olds of, who can beat up my dad or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, because that's basically what it is. If you think about it, it's, it's hard for us to get past that shit. You know, I right. mean, dude, I know it's hard for me. I mean, sometimes John, I'll tell you, man, um, we touched on it a little bit with game day and you know, the, the reality of it is, and I know you understand this because you're a new England guy and you, and I'm sorry about your Celtics, by the way. That I know, man. I, I'm crushed. I'm crushed with it, man. I, I was crying I in my Celtic pillow. Last game, I was like, God is crying somewhere right now. Man. I am. I was actually deeply crying because especially when my co- my other co-host, Abby, she says, I had a dream that um, Larry Bird came to me in a dream and that the Celtics were going to win this, <laughs> win the championship. I'm like, uh, you might want to tell Larry that he might have been a little drunk that night. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, man, I have these conversations. It's really funny because, um, you know, my dad and I, 
man, I love, I love talking to my dad about stuff. You know, we, we fight, man, we fight like cats and dogs. And my dad is such a bright guy. You know, he, he was a corporate dude. He ran companies and, you know, he was the first guy in his family that got a college education. He was a first white collar guy in a long line of blue collar, you know, people. And, um, it's so funny because we talk sports sometimes and, uh, We'll talk about the Phillies, which is like the Phillies for us. You're a Red Sox fan. Are you a Red Sox fan? Obviously. Okay. <laughs> so are you are you now are you too young to remember when the Red Sox were just cursed and could not win? You remember 80, that? I I know of the 86 year curse. I was not born in 1932, though. <laughs> no, but, but I you were born yeah. post curse. Uh, uh, right. Right. So you were right, like, right. you got the winning Red Sox. You've got the World Series Red Sox. But it took a lot to get that monkey off of the Red Sox yep. back. The Phillies are the losingest organization in professional sports, man. So as Philly fans, we so want them to do well because they're just like, you know, the redheaded stepchild. Like we just want them to do good. But every year they let us down, man. So this is like part of the generational banter that goes on because my dad went up for years with the Phillies not being good. And um, so we fight about this stuff all the time. So back to our movie, <laughs> when they're talking about the Yankees, mm -hmm. that was heartwarming to me. Those yep. conversations about the Yankees, and I'm sure you you've had similar conversations. There's something about baseball that has such – uh, uh, you know, it's such a familial, heartwarming situation that we all kind of bond over it, maybe because there's time to talk during the course of a game or whatever it is. But, you know, I'll tell you something I, that that hit home with me so much, man, in watching that. For you, it, the, yeah, from, your parents were Red Sox fans, I take it, and. You grew up my mom's that. not the biggest. Here's the thing. My mom's not the biggest sports fanatic or anything like that. But my aunt is. My aunt is a diehard Celtics, diehard uh, Bruins, you name it. Anything Boston related? Yeah. yeah. But also, too, you know, when you look up to, like, someone like Mickey Mantle, and then you go over to, then, uh, of course, you go over to Sonny, and then Sonny goes, why do you give a shit about uh, someone that doesn't care about you? Right. And that, and you know what? That stood with me because I remember I wanted this album, this rock album. Uh, I forgot what album it was or whatever, but I was a teenager or whatever. My mom goes, why do you want to waste your t time and money on that when you know, when that person doesn't even know who you are? So it kind of is reminiscent. Right. So as soon as I heard that line, I'm like, okay, so now my mom's talking to me through this movie. <laughs> so, but I remember that as a teenager where it's like, why do I need to make this guy rich and have another swimming pool in, my, in his area while we're not even having, when he doesn't even know us, doesn't even know that we're struggling, doesn't even know who, us in, at all. Why should we give a shit about him or that uh, artist? So let me ask you a question, John. I know this is a little off topic, but you're you're a very interesting guy. And I always, when I, <laughs> when I talk to people that I connect with, I always like to ask them this. What is the first piece of music, record, cassette cd what's the first piece of music you remember going out and buying or you know that the first one you own that you question i'm sorry the first piece of music that you bought 
that you like, you know, went to a record store, you bought the CD, you know, you, what was the first piece of music that you got that you were like, this is my deal. Like, you know, for me, it was a 45 for you. Obviously it was the CD. Not right. Right. Okay. So the very first album I actually bought was a soundtrack and it was actually to the cable guy with Jim Carrey. But <laughs> so foreshadowing, man. It's like you right. Know. Pick a rock album or any album in general, aside from music and everything. Just music in general. It would actually have to be into Metallica's The Black Album. That would be my the very first album that I knew that I wanted to pick up a guitar because I actually picked up a guitar because of Kirk Hammett, and I knew that's what I wanted to do at that time was do that. And I used to review music all the time. I used to be one of those people that sat there and uh, listened to the guitar riffs and the measurement of, you know, just going and being geeky over music and sweaty over music and stuff yeah. like that and doing are you, are music you a reviews. Yeah. See, I haven't played in years though. We're guitarists, man. That, <laughs> that's why we get along, man. That, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I know what you mean, man. Exactly. You guys and you're, 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 you're really good guys and you're thoughtful guys, man. Thank you. Well, I didn't know you were a guitar player. Do you still play? I haven't picked up a guitar in years. Basically all I know how to do now is just run my mouth and do this podcast. That's basically all I know how to do, but right. But there are, there are two songs I still know how to play smoke on the water, which is very easy to play. And then, uh, corn, uh, there's uh, the, there's also another corn, uh, the very first not Newell uh, heavy metal album that I picked up in the 90s was Corn's Follow the Leader album, which got me into it. And I know how to play Falling Away From Me, Freak on a Leash, stuff like that. Freak on a Leash. Oh, my gosh, dude. <laughs> totally, so, yeah. You know, because you're <clears throat> now how old are you, man? I'm 37. Because you're almost exactly my oldest son's age. He's 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 a year younger than you. So yeah, I remember uh, you telling me about that because Batman. we talked about my, yep Batman, Michael Keaton. My first movie was in '86. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely, man. And he loved all of that stuff. But you know, for me, um, I grew up in in a Hollywood. I came out here really really young. I was like 17 when I came out here, and. Um, I was, it was a different world out here then. It was always a pressure to go, are you an actor? Are you a musician? Like, what are you? What are the two are you? And I was always in both camps. So I was playing in bands, but I was also, you know, doing television shows and doing movies. And I was, I was working as an actor. So um, to me, uh, it's great now that I see that the worlds have kind of like melted together and artists don't have to choose like you're this or you're that. Um, to this day, I mean, you know, I have a band, the Smoking Cobras. We play, we play all over. It's taken me to Japan. It's taken me to <laughs> you name it. I, you know, and uh, we play constantly. And and I absolutely love being in both worlds. Um, and so I totally understand what you're saying about those songs and how that stuff hits you. And my kids always grew up equally in the music and in the film world, man. So do you, uh, as, as a person that's obviously deep in the film world, do you ever have thoughts or aspirations of like tiptoeing into the music world still sometimes? To be honest with you, here's the thing. I'm actually going to be on a guest on somebody else's podcast. That's different from this, right? From, different from movies. I actually decided to break out of my comfort zone 
right. and go over to Playlist Wars. I'm going to be on Playlist Wars uh, next week, and you we're doing. Send me that link, man. I, I will. That. I want to see okay. that. That's super okay, cool, man. Are you excited? Because, yes, I'm excited because it's talking about Grand Theft Auto, and they're doing the songs in Grand Theft Auto. So yeah. we're doing a top ten list of songs in in Grand Theft Auto. So that's a huge list to actually break down. Right. Top ten list of each of the songs that were featured in those uh, into those video games. So basically, after that, I'll break it down, start scratching off everything from all those video games, and then come out with my complete top ten list and do it that way. I want to see that. You have to send me the link. I want to watch that when you do that next week, man. I That's sure will. You're cool, man. It's yeah. Great. You know, it, back to our original topic with with the movie. I did you like the movie, the the music in the movie? Because I thought he made some interesting choices that I liked, man. I'm glad that you t- we're going to talk about the music and everything because I was going to touch on that before we close out. But Knights in White Satin. Then you also right. have. Right, <laughs> that was a great song to actually put put in that place. The, the placement of each song ends up being being really good. Come together, describe the bike bikers, and everything. Uh, it was great, dude. It was it was great that they did that, and you know, uh, I think Roll is doing the gambling, the dice. No, no, no go, go ahead. Sorry about that. No, no, go. No, I, I'm more interested in what you're saying. What were you saying? Okay. But no, when Claudrol is over there rolling the dice, it has that Vegas feel to it because it has that danger of getting away with something that you know is wrong. Right. What a kick in the head. And that's reminiscent to Rob De Niro. What a kick in the head that your son is getting away with something that you have no idea what he's doing. Absolutely, man. I thought he made great choices with the music, which I thought was – Definitely a um, a tip of the hat to Scorsese. I mean, because if you even go back, like any any Scorsese movie, Mean Streets up to Goodfellas, the musical choices are always like really inspiring. They really fit in. You know, they're really. I mean, they're just always awesome. I so I thought it was a really cool part of the movie, man. Really, and what you said about Knights in White Satin. You know, here's the really trippy thing: we're watching it right, and my. And my 14-year-old is definitely into old school music. I mean, he's really into, like, older music. And we're watching it, and he's like, Dad, is that nice and white satin? You know, it, it was, like, such a creative choice in it, man. You know, it was really cool. I enjoyed that, though. Uh, and also, too, that song is also a long song, though. It's, like, 12 minutes long on the extended. Right, because it's got the poetry bit in it and stuff, man. I didn't know why. Yeah, I can understand why you want to condense that down. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I know, man. I, but, but it's so funny, man. I mean, I thought every one of the songs really, really work. Uh, wait, this is my my fourteen year old just walking by. He saw the movie Hello. last night, man. So, uh, hey, this is John. This is Jackson. So, t- hey, how you doing, Jackson? John, tell John I'm, what you thought. I'm about. doing good. How are you, John? I'm doing good. Tell so, you, you enjoyed the movie. Oh, I loved it. Um, it's I I have a like a, a rank on my phone, and I like rank like my top five movies. I've moved it to I think like two or three. It's 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 great. It's I loved it. Um, it's so like it feels so like 
like genuine and natural, like from the heart, like you can just feel like, I mean, we, I grew up in like an Italian American family pretty much. I've spent, yeah, my whole life. And it's like, you can just feel like the, like the culture, like oozing through it. It's great. It's a great movie. Definitely is. And it has that love of the fathers who have the, the direction on what the character should be going through and stuff like that with collateral. I, I definitely, I, I definitely understand how you gravitated towards it and everything about how you fell in love with this film, just as your dad and I uh, fell in love with it when we first saw this at a, at a younger age, like you and everything too. So I think that, you know, that's a beautiful thing to be able to re- let it be resonated to you in that kind of light. And that you actually know that it was actually lightheartedness into, into what De Niro was doing. So I think it that really, was actually it really cool. hit him, man. I mean, he really, he really loved it. And I thought it's amazing. John, isn't it amazing that you can make this movie in 1993, right? And you've got this 14 year old in 2022 and he was, he watched the movie and we watched it. The credits rolled and he was like, I just, I just loved it. It, it just, it hit him so strong. That's what it's about. That's what film yep. is about. If it can do that, man, that's what it's about. And, and exactly, it definitely did that, man. And that's going to be a film that's going to be stuck with him now. And also, he's going to be able to show it to his family and everything. Hey, look, I was at 14 years old. My dad showed me this. Let me pop this in and show you what good filmmaking is, and yeah. you know, give you that cinematic experience. So, yeah. I think that it's going to be a great film for him to show to it, show to his wife in the future because this is actually an underrated film. This yep. is a standout to me. Yep. To be able to introduce this to a tw- someone in 2022 and every and seeing the world through the lenses of ni- of the 1960s. And that's because of you, man. Because I've watched the movie a million times, and I knew our show was coming up, and I was like, oh man, and I was looking so looking forward to seeing it. And I was like, dude, you got to see this movie. And he saw, I said, you know, because it's an older movie for him. He doesn't know. And I was like, watch it. Watch it for 10 minutes. See what you think. He watched it for three. And he was like, man, this is great. This shit kicks. I was he in. Was in now, yeah. You know, about a movie. Remember in terms of being a kid and something that your one of your parents turned you on to that you were that you saw and you were like wow man this movie totally like changed my vibe and my my viewpoint on film or on on life in general well let's see here the very first movie that i got introduced to was jaws basically <laughs> um but, jaws but is a monster. that's a great movie man what an but, movie man let me tell you what it got me into though it got me into oceanography got me into marine life biology got me into learning about sharks about how they operate because i went through this whole entire great shark kind of thing in my school library to where i was just digging any type of information i can on sharks that's basically the movie that broke me out on that but it's a movie that made me think on odd on authenticity and stuff like that as to this is what I want to do would have to be ET would be the one that actually got me into doing what I love. It's that's two Steven Spielberg movies, but on two different levels of, of things though, too, on the way that you change things. They're amazing movies. I mean, if you think about Spielberg, I know we're off the topic of, of of our thing, Hmm. but to, to speak of Spielberg just a little bit, able to be blessed to have lived during the era where Steven Spielberg is making movies, man, it's pretty amazing, man. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty 
big blessing, man. You know, it's like it's like watching Babe Ruth play every game. You know, I mean, it's 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 a it's like Michael Jordan. These are amazing people, man. To be able to see it, it's just great. We were watching Lincoln the other day too, man, which is another just like amazing movie, man. I mean, it's so so good. Lincoln is fantastic. It I like is. I like Lincoln a lot. I mean, Daniel Day Lewis. Guy is amazing, man. Completely incredible. That's definitely. But yep. as far as this movie goes, it's rock solid. I enjoyed this movie. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to be everything that I had wanted to capture for this film. And I think that it resonates with Father's Day. I think it has... If you haven't seen this, you can actually stream this for free on YouTube and everything. Because I just happened to... just Because I was about to rent it. Then I'm like, wait, what? So I actually got a chance to just because I did own the DVD, but the DVD has those full screen things basically where you can't see everything. I'm like, so I'm going to have to go on ahead and rent this movie. Then all of a sudden I saw it on, uh, on YouTube for free. I'm like, okay, so I'll just go on ahead and watch it from, from that. And I just fell in love with it all over again. Like I was in, it has a two hour runtime, but you don't feel the two hours because of how much you're invested into the story. That's another thing too. Yep. And I want to thank you for, Picking this one, which has always been a movie that has been very near and dear to my heart for many, many, many reasons. And uh, we just, as a family, we all enjoyed watching it, man. I mean, we watched it. You really touched a few people's lives here by saying, hey, let's review this movie. And believe me, my son will attest to it. We were all in there watching it and just absolutely loving it every aspect of it. Um, I actually bought it. So we have it now. So it's there. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a great movie. Um, it's a, it's really from the heart and, uh, anybody who's out there who has not seen it, guys see it. It's not perfect, but man, it is very beautiful. And it definitely touches on things that will really, really hit you in the heart. Um, again, uh, the theme of wasted talent, the theme of better to be loved than feared, but most importantly, the theme of integrity of like doing what you believe in commitment, commitment to your family, commitment to yourself. These are beautiful universal themes. And man, we need more movies, more movies that talk about this stuff. But, um, Dude, I was like totally honored you asked me to to review this film. Thank you, man. I really you're very welcome, it. and I'm honored to have for you to have be on my show though again because seriously, dude, I, I like having you on and everything, and I do feel like uh, you are now a part of our movie lovers family. So I hope so, um, man. I love yeah, it. You are, you are. Uh, but yeah, anytime that you want to come on, man, let me know. I'll be glad to because I I do different topics every night. Too. I don't know if you noticed or anything like that, but I did a couple of uh, topics about Harley Quinn recently. I do that. I do movie news segments and stuff like that. So anytime you want to see something that you that hits you, let me know. I'll have you well, on. If you want me there, I, I will I will be the biggest pain yep. in the ass that there is. I'll be there every <laughs> single time, man, because I really okay. enjoy talking to you. And you're a, you're a, a bright guy and a good Thank guy. You, man. And I, and Thank I you, man. appreciate both things. God bless you, man. God bless you too, Dean. And th- nice meeting you, Jackson. I do appreciate you. Co- Thank you. Nice talking- meeting you, too, man. Nice meeting you. 
So, with that being said, guys, don't forget to hit that like button, smash that subscribe button down below. Also, too, tomorrow night, I'm, Alex is going to be here with me. We're going to be doing our uh, Jurassic Park Dominion uh, uh, review. Uh, it's going to be a spoiler review for that. And then that's going to be at 9 o'clock, 9.30 because of the fact that I'm going to a 6.30 showing tomorrow night. So that's going to be at 9.30 Central Time and 10.30 Eastern Time for that. And then after that, we actually have our Obi-Wan series review. We're combining both episodes well, with episode 5 and 6. I, wanna, I have to watch that. When's, when are you doing that series? I want to watch you guys on that. Then. Oh, um, I've also already got the first four episodes already on there. So it's okay. every Friday we've been doing it. It's just that last Friday, Alex was sick. So I'm like, you know what, dude? Do Go on ahead. Get better. And we'll knock this thing out. And we'll combine 5 and 6 together and review episodes 5 and 6 together. Well, I, guess that way. I want to see it. I'm playing a show tomorrow night. My band's playing a concert in Duarte tomorrow. So I'll miss that one. But I definitely want to see your Obi-Wan. All my sons are like telling me how good it is. I, I absolutely want to see it. Man. Okay. So. Uh, another thing that we're doing is our Godfather 2 review. That's going to be on Thursday night. So we're doing that. I will um, watch that. Bro, and I will be there yep. man, to see that. But yeah, if you guys can't watch it, that's okay because we also actually have an audio-only podcast as well. So we have that going on. Um, that's on all where you guys get your podcasts from. Then, of course, we also have a merch store now. So go ahead and buy yourself a t-shirt. The links are going to be placed below so that way you guys can get one. Go ahead support Abby at Motor City Nerds. We have a collaboration t-shirt to actually help support her and her family. All proceeds go over to Abby and her family for that. And always until next time, guys. Thank you, Dean. Thank you again, Jackson, for coming well, on to make a small. Anytime, John. Thanks for thanks for having us. And uh, anytime. I look forward to uh, more conversations, my brother. Same here, man. Same here.